the, I love the mo- mother and daughter right here having their conversation. She's saying, remember when you got me this, Mom? That was my favorite one. All righty. Hey, we are in the midst of Advent season. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that term, Advent simply means coming. And it's a time during a season that can very easily just seem hectic and crazy. It's a time to slow down and really remember what the purpose of the season is all about. We look, we look back to Christ's first coming when God came into our world and took on the, the warm, weak flesh of an infant and began a journey that ultimately culminated in the cross. A, a, a decision that he made in order to pay the penalty of our sins so that we could spend eternity in relationship with him and not be estranged from him. So it's a time to look back, but it's also a time to look forward to Christ's second coming, a time when we wait for him to make all things new, to restore this broken, fallen world. And these candles that we have up here, Advent, we, we, we typically have Advent candles, and the candles are symbolic of things that this season is about. We have the, ca- the candle of faith, because we have faith that through Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made, that sin, that death, that sickness doesn't get the last word. That in him we have hope. We have the candle of hope. That this sin-sick world ultimately is not our destiny. We have hope in him. And the candle that we're going to be lighting today is the love candle. And this isn't a, a love that is fickle like society tends to throw around a candle or a, a, a love that's conditional upon our efforts but a love that goes so much beyond that. And what I'm going to do as we've done every week is I'm going to have a family come up. I want to invite the Lowe's to come up here. Um, and they're going to light our Advent candle this year. So, And for those of you who haven't met the Lowe's, Eric and Melissa, they've got Caden and Bryce and Mia, who I just am going to steal from them at some point. They don't know it yet. That one right there. Awesome. And um, as this is the candle of love, I know that um, typically we'll have you share a, a Christmas tradition, but what I'd really love to do, for some of you know, um, Eric is the, ca- uh, the coach of the Huntington Beach High School Oilers football team, and they just won CIF in their division, which is a huge deal. And what's so fun is it was a massive turnaround in the middle of the season where, you know, there were moments where I'm sure Eric was going like, is my job in jeopardy? And all of a sudden now he's a CIF champion coach. But what's so fun about it is he was sharing with me. It's like, man, there was a massive change even in the way that I approached coaching. And so I'd love for you to share a little bit about kind of what happened there. It's already on. Turn him on. You know what I mean. Go ahead. Yeah, it'll start going eventually. Can you hear me now? No. <laughs> Let me see here. All right, it should be on. No. You can bellow. You are a coach, aren't you? I might be able to do that. Try it with that one. No. <laughs> Hello. All right, just go ahead. Just go ahead and talk loudly. You can use that until they get you. I love coaching football. I love mentoring young men. 
we had just an unbelievable special story. There was a point in the season where we lost uh, four games in a span of five weeks. And uh, for those of you that have been a, a part of competitive athletics, you know how much that hurts, especially if you're overseeing these young men that you love. And they've done so many great things in practice, and we just couldn't apply it to the games. Uh, our transition happened at the end of the year, where our backs were against the wall. Um, our, our final game of the season was against uh, Newport Harbor. Uh, if we lose, season's over. We're checking on here and that next Monday. And what was so special is that we kind of came together. And how we did it was it was senior night. And I've never done this before, but I, I asked all the seniors to invite one family member that meant a lot to them. They've gotten to be in this place to come and watch them. And it was awesome. So they brought in a dad, a brother, uh, a mom for coming. And it was just awesome. So they came to locker for the game. They were about to be um, And it, what was so cool is just it was just centered around that. It, when we did our prayer at the end, we still do prayers before, the, before we walk out of the field together as a team. Um, just to see these parents touch their And it was just this thing where they were, it, it just it overwhelmed you emotionally. Well, we ended up winning that game. And we won it pretty convincingly. We moved forward in the big playoffs. We're the last team pick to go to play. I'm going to steal her from you. At a 5 5 record. I'm not going to steal her. Sorry. There's no love there. Tried. There you are. Here we are. Just go ahead. They'll turn it down. But we knew we had something a little more special there. And so um, we played Gorbel in the first round playoffs. And I invited anybody that wanted to come into our locker room, you know, someone that uh, was special to our players, and they came in. And so that first playoff game, we probably had about 75 visitors, in, a, in addition to our 100 football players. Um, and it was powerful. And, you know, at the end of that, we, and we played well again. We won the game. But walking out of that locker room, I'm seeing grown men, dads, tearing up. I'm seeing uh, players just had this look in their eyes that I, that I haven't seen before. Um, and, and it was it was awesome. And then we, we kept it going, and we played a home game against San Juan Hills, and now I probably had about 150 uh, family members in the locker room before that game. And it was the same thing. After the end of this thing, it was just powerful. I mean, dads crying, players crying before they left the field. And then we won, we won that game convincingly as well. And then we come against our, our biggest rival, which was uh, Edison High School and uh, played at Orange Coast College. We probably had about 200 people in the, in the locker room before the game. At that time, we even Skyped in a, um, a player's dad from uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan, which was awesome. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And, um, and then the final game was at Angel Stadium. We might have had 500 family members. You know, we had, I, I think we had cousins of cousins in there. But it was awesome because they all got to share in the love. And that's what it was about. We, um, and we ended up winning the CF championship that, that day. But w what was great about it was, is it wasn't a traditional, you know, fire and brimstone. It wasn't, uh, we're going to beat those guys. Those guys can't stand, you know, they, don't, they, they shouldn't be on the field with us. It was none of that. It was talking about love and love of each other and, um, and going out on the field and playing for something bigger than yourself, uh, which is our family. Uh, what was great about it is in that locker room, Angel Stadium, it was the Holy Spirit was in there. It was just so powerful. There was just so much love. And, um, and it really propelled us to a great year. And what I learned from it was when I filled my guy, because I've done the other approach. I've done the, those guys don't stand a chance. Who do they think they are coming on our field? I've done that. And um, what, what, what changed for me when I saw this is when I fill those guys' hearts with love, they will overcome more. You know, when their opponent might be better than them, they can overcome it. You know, when we're down, 
they can overcome it. When they go out there with just, you know, anger and, 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 and kind of like a, you know, a 48-minute hate for their opponent, when it gets tough, that's empty. That's gone. But when we filled our hearts with love, we accomplished unbelievable things. And nobody thought we were going to win a CF title. We were, <laughs> we were probably predicted to lose in the first round. Um, but we got it done, and we really got it done because of the love we had for each other, the love that the parents really provided for their, chi- their children. And it was just a great story, and I'm just kind of honored to be around, uh, be around that and, and to tell it. So it was, and I could talk all day, but I know Eric wants to mic back about it. That's fine. But it's, uh, it was awesome, and it was uh, just such a blessing to be a part of it. And like I said, the Holy Spirit was running through our locker room at Angel Stadium, and it was just, it was awesome. Thank you. I know. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Melissa. I love that. I, I love the fact that he was saying, you know, when you're angry, that, that only pulls you so far. But when you get smashed in the mouth and you get knocked down, anger's empty. But when you have a love for something bigger than yourself, when you recognize that you are fighting alongside people that you care for and there's something bigger than yourself, it can help you get back up. And anyway, that's really, I was just really... Um, grateful that uh for him to be able to share okay so earlier we all had a chance to share a little bit about our favorite christmas present or something that really stands out and i want i didn't get the opportunity to share so i'm going to just tell you i remember vividly when i was eight years old and for months all i had been desiring and wanting was a cabbage patch doll there is a nurturing streak to eric wayman that some of you haven't seen but i wanted that cabbage patch doll more than anything i told my parents I had written a letter to Santa. I had prayed to Jesus that he would hook me up. And when Christmas Eve came, it was one of those things where I was laying in bed, and I don't know if it was the sugar I'd eaten. I don't, know if, I don't even know what a sugar plum fairy looks like, so I don't know what those kind of things were. But there was something that was keeping me up. I was just excited about the fact that perhaps I was hours away from... Um, I'm going to switch out. I was only hours away from getting that cabbage patch. Hobbit hands. Alrighty. So, I'm looking forward to the morning when my cabbage patch tall hopefully will be there. And so, you know, you, you, you finally fall asleep, but it's hard because every little crack of the house sounds like it could be reindeer hooves on the roof. And you're just like, what was that? Santa's here! Wake up in the morning at a very reasonable 5.15 a.m., Wake my brother up, although I think that he had been sitting up for like the last 15 minutes too, just kind of waiting. And we, you know, we, we had been trained by our parents, don't get us at 5.15. So we finally force ourselves for about a half an hour to sleep. And at about 5.45, we're like, that's enough. We've done enough. We go and we get my parents up. We like force them to go downstairs. The Christmas lights are on on the tree. And I look under the tree and there he is. <laughs> Alex, my cabbage patch doll. And I loved him. I was so excited to get him for, for at least a month. I played with him nonstop whenever I wasn't at school. I didn't take him to school with me. Um, you know, I played with, until, you know, I got to that point where you get a little curious as a guy. You're like, well, what makes him feel so lifelike and real? So I had to pull his face off to find out what made him feel so squishy. And, you know, then you kind of go on with life. Well, the next, by next Christmas, I'd completely forgotten about Alex. He wasn't even on my radar anymore. I don't even know where he went. I was onto the next toy, the next thing, the next must-have Christmas thing. And I don't know at what point Santa kind of eclipsed 
Jesus. I know it was never my parents' intention that the presence would somehow eclipse the manger, but it happens. I mean, it it makes sense for a kid that it's very difficult for a 2,000-year-old baby in a feeding trough to compete with presents. But I got to ask, I mean, at what point did presents even become a part of Christmas? Have you ever thought to ask that? Like, why do we do the things we do? And I'm sorry if I'm stepping on toes here, but why do we even give gifts? Is it because Jesus isn't around to collect his birthday presents, so we shower him on other people? Is it tradition? Is it? I know that there are a lot of you out there, my wife included, who absolutely love to give Christmas presents. Do it really well. They're thoughtful. They're thought out. I'm not one of those people. I typically tend to give because it's expected. Kind of almost out of obligation, as if if I don't give something to somebody, they're going to feel hurt like I don't care about them and all those kind of things, which is absolutely not the heart posture that honors God in this type of season. But it begs the question, why do we give gifts in the first place? Now, there's probably lots of reasons we do. If you look over the history of Christmas, there's lots of reasons why that has become a central component. But let me share one of the reasons why we do it historically. You have to go back about 1,800 years into what is today modern-day Turkey. There was a, um, a merchant who had three young daughters who were kind of of marrying age, but he had a problem. This merchant had had all that he owned stolen when pirates attacked the ships that were delivering his goods that he was going to sell, and he lost everything. He was destitute. And he had these three daughters that were of marrying age, but unfortunately he had no dowry to give them. And in this day and in that culture, if you don't have a dowry, you don't get married. And you have only a couple of options. One, you live at home as a spinstress, hoping that there's enough money for you to be able to live on. That was not the case for them. They were literally starving every day. Two, you get sold into slavery or even worse, into prostitution in order to support yourself. And this is what this father was looking at as the future for his daughter's starvation or worse. And he began to pray fervently, God, protect my daughters, provide for them. Well, there was a young guy who had been raised in a, in a good God-fearing home, but his parents had died when he was still a teenager. He was being raised by his uncle who was a priest. And he had inherited a good amount of money from his parents in their death, but he did not view that money as something that he had to just make himself comfortable to live on. He recognized, because he was a Christ follower, he loved Jesus, and he said, this money that I have been given, I have been given so much, blessed so much by God's love for me, I'm going to bless others, I'm going to take care of others. So when he caught wind of what was going on with this merchant and his daughters, one night, in the middle of the night, he took a bag of money and he threw it through their window. Now, some... some Sources will suggest that the money went into a shoe or into a stocking that was hanging by the fire, drying, and so that's where we get like the first Christmas stocking. I don't know. But suffice it to say, he gave money to provide not only food for that family, but a dowry for that first daughter. A short time later, he threw a second sack of money through the window to provide for the second daughter. And shortly thereafter, he provided a third sack of money for the third, third daughter's dowry. Now, when the father heard that third sack hit the ground, he was ready. He'd been sleeping a little bit lighter, waiting in case this happened. And when he heard it, he threw on his coat, ran outside, ran down the street, and he caught up to this mysterious benefactor. And when he caught sight of this kid, 
He said, thank you. Thank you for providing for my family. And this, this young man said, don't, don't thank me. He had, been, he had been going in the middle of the night and giving the money in the middle of the night because he did not want the focus on himself at all. He said, don't thank me, thank God. It's God who has provided it. And he placed the emphasis completely on God's provision. Now, this young guy's name was Nicholas. He would go on, for many of us, we remember him in history as Saint Nick, who, you know, you know he would go on throughout his life to become a bishop in the Catholic Church and to continue throughout his life to exemplify a selfless generosity towards people who are in need. Well, advertisers have taken St. Nicholas's memory and they've turned it into the single greatest vehicle for selling stuff during Christmas. But if we really go back to the heart of who Nicholas was all about, he was a man who understood that we have been blessed with a lot. And Caring for others is a way of worshiping him. It's a way of responding to him. He recognized that the greatest gift had already been given, Jesus Christ. And God gave that gift not because he had to, not out of obligation or expectation, not even because of tradition. God gave the gift of Jesus Christ out of a much more pure motive, love. John 3.16 states very clearly, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, doesn't have to spend eternity separated from God, but will have eternal life and intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. If you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And I know I need to go fast today. First John is right towards the end of the Bible. If you hit Revelation, you've gone too far. If you're in first and second Peter, you need to go a little bit further towards the end. God was motivated not by obligation or expectation or even tradition. He was motivated by love for us. And John, in this in first John chapter four, beginning in verse seven, he explains how that, what that means for us, God's choice to love us in the way that he has. He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If we were to jump down to verse 19, he simply says, we love. We love because he first loved us. Now, I read this statement, God is love, and I'll be the first to say it sounds very cliche, doesn't it? God is love. I mean, it almost sounds like it... It's weak by itself. It's a nice bumper sticker, God is love. But what does that mean? Thankfully, John doesn't just leave us with that statement. But he goes on to show a tangible way, the tangible way in which God has lavished his love upon us. In verse 10, he says, I'm sorry, in verse 9, this is a tangible way that God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. God did for us 
what we could not do for ourselves. God chose to break into our reality, take on human flesh, and suffer and die in our place so that we could rightfully be called saints, saved sinners. He doesn't look at our sins. He looks at us as his sons and daughters because of the gift of grace, something we could never earn. So that is the tangible way that God has showed his love to us. He is both a righteous judge who can't simply turn a blind eye to our actions and our sins, but he's also a loving father who says, I'm not content to simply turn a blind eye to my children as they're suffering. I'm going to move towards them. And I'm going to give a way that their sin doesn't get the last word. But he doesn't even stop there. Look at verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I don't want to gloss over this because this is probably the most important point I'm going to make this morning. God's love for us was not earned. God didn't say, oh, look at all the ways that they're seeking after me. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and capitulate. I'm going to forgive them and I'm going to move back towards them. We didn't earn God's love. We weren't deserving of it. Rather, God took the first step towards us. While we were still in our rebellion, while we were still saying, I want nothing to do with you, I want to be the captain of my own ship. He said, I love you enough that although you don't think you need me, I will move towards you. Although you revel in your rebellion, I'm going to come towards you and I'm going to give you a way to be redeemed, even in the midst of it. You know, uh, there's a book that John Ortberg wrote called, um, no, it doesn't matter. He wrote a book about love. And in this book, he talks about two different types of love. Love that seeks value and love that brings value. Love that seeks value. And this is on the other side of your sheet. If you guys are are choosing to take notes, this is the only fill-ins that we have. Love that seeks value and love that brings value. Now, love that seeks value, we're all familiar with this. Because this is the type of love that flourishes in our society. A type of love that looks for things that are worthy, things that are admirable, things that are, you know, success. Eric starts doing well in football. Now everybody's loving on him now. Everybody's saying he's doing a great job, whereas if he's losing a couple of games, he's not having quite as many people love. You know, so it's the people who are successful. It's the people who are attractive. It's the people who have power and who can do something for us. Those are the people that deserve our love. And so we lavish it upon them because they are worthy. But if they lose that success, if they lose that power, if they lose their looks, then we remove our love because it has been deemed unworthy. And I think a lot of us have experienced that that desire to earn conditional love. And so we've gone out of our way to try to be better, to try to to be worthy of acceptance, admiration, love. And I will be the first to say it is an exhausting type of love to pursue because really you're only as good as your last performance. And so you almost sign yourself up for a hamster wheel. You got to keep performing. You can never stop. You can never fully rest. Love that seeks value is a conditional love dependent upon the other thing's worthiness. In contrast, love that brings value is just the opposite. 
It doesn't, the, the object of our love does not have to be worthy. We choose to make it worthy because it matters to us. I think of my boy, Ethan's doggy blanket. This is Ethan's doggy blanket. I don't know when it became valuable. Probably when he was around two, we, he, just to kind of comfort him at night, we would give him a blanket. And it was always a different one. And Kathy and I are like, hey, let's get him one that he'll really love. And so we went and bought a really expensive one. That lasted about one night. For whatever reason, this little blanket, it's just a, a receiving blanket with little doggies on it, became the one that he held on to and glommed on to. And then he, he wanted it every night. Now, there's nothing particularly valuable about this blanket. We've got dozens of them at our house. We've thrown away dozens of them. This thing is getting threadbare. It's torn. It's not particularly comfortable. And yet to Ethan, this has more value than any other blanket in the entire house because it's his doggy blanket. He bestows value upon it. Does that make sense? Because in a lot of ways, we are like this blanket to our Father in heaven. We're not worthy of his love. We haven't done anything to earn it. We don't have in and of ourselves reason for us to say, well, of course God wants me. And yet he chooses to bestow his love upon us because we are his sons and we are his daughters. We're a lot like this blanket. And when he looks at us, he doesn't see the things that we've done to earn it. His love is unconditional. Now, I never fully understood this type of unconditional love. To me, as a guy who's been steeped and raised in a society that's all about conditional love, I can intellectually understand it. But it has never really been able to make that short trip from my head to my heart until I became a father myself. I remember the first day I laid eyes on Ethan. I mean, there was nothing particularly attractive about him. I mean, he was just like this wet little old man that all he knew how to do was eat, sleep, poop, and keep me up at night. And yet that little boy had my heart in a way that nobody had ever had my heart. I would have laid down in front of a train to save his life in a heartbeat without even thinking about it. I loved him not because he earned it, not because he deserved it. He didn't have to. He was my boy, and I loved him. And just watching him grow brought me so much pleasure. Now, I will admit, he's five years old now. He's got a mind of his own now. He, he is able to communicate. He does have a will of his own, and there are moments where I get frustrated with my boy. There are moments when I'm disappointed at the choices that he makes. There are times when I get angry, and sometimes I even have to discipline him as any father does. But one thing never changes. I have never once stopped loving my son because my love for him is unconditional. He never earned it. He can't lose it. Now, if I, a fallible human being, look at my son that way, imagine how our Father in heaven looks at us. The point is you are a son. You are a daughter of the living God. He loves you not because you've earned it, Not because you're good enough. Not because you tithe or show up to church two two weeks in a row. Not because of anything you've done. He loves you because you have been created in his image. Endowed with gifts and abilities that he hopes you will grow to use 
to advance his kingdom, but ultimately he loves you because you are his kid, whether you recognize that fact or not. When he looks at us, he doesn't see the junk. He sees a son or a daughter, and he wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for all of his creation. And when we look at love that way, God does not love us with a love that seeks value type of love, a conditional type of love. He looks at us and says, you are valuable because I deem you valuable. I hope that you guys can rest in that love because it's radically different from the type of love where we feel like we're on a hamster wheel having to earn it. And that type of love, there are two real responses that we have this morning. As I'm kind of wrapping up. The first response is this. There are some of us in here this morning who have not accepted this gift of grace. We have not accepted God's gift of open arms saying, come home, stop running, stop trying to be good enough. Maybe, that, maybe, we're, maybe we haven't accepted that gift for because we're just not really done being the captain of our own ship. We're not really finished being the Lord of our own life. And we figure maybe sometime later, I will finally bend a knee and I'll finally let him in. Or maybe the reason that you haven't accepted that gift is because you don't feel worthy of it. You want to be a good enough person to be deserving of it, but you recognize that you're not there yet. And so you keep trying and striving. And may I tell you, That is a futile effort. You will never be good enough. None of us are. And that's the beauty of this gift. It's just that, that it's a gift that we did not earn, that we could never earn, and it's freely given. And so this morning, the first response would simply be to accept the gift that's freely offered. To accept it, all you have to do is say, God... There's no incantation. There's no like certain words that you have to say. Just an acceptance of God. I need your help. I'm done trying to captain my own ship. I'm done trying to be good enough. I'm done trying to earn it. Jesus, I, I recognize that you died for me. Would you come into my life? Would you be not only my Savior, but would you be my Lord? I need you. Now here's the thing. There's nothing magic about that prayer. But it is a heart posture of submission that we're after. Nor, and this is a big point, nor is this the final step in a journey into heaven. It's not as if we pray a prayer and we punch our ticket. Jesus never said, pray a prayer and surely you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus constantly was saying, follow me. This prayer is the first step in a journey that will last a lifetime for all of us. The vast majority of us in here have taken that first step and we're following him. We stumble at times, but we are all seeking him, I hope. And if there's anybody in here this morning who has yet to take that first step, then I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. If you'd bow your heads with me, why don't we all close our eyes and bow our heads? And if what I'm about to say is the true intention of your heart, then I just invite you to repeat these words. Again, there's nothing magic about them. They're not right words. It's not some incantation. It's simply saying, Jesus, I need you. 
I recognize that I uh, am not perfect. And I am so grateful that you love me in spite of that. You know the junk that's kept me away. You know the ways I've sought to do it by myself. To be good enough. Thank you for loving me in spite of my weakness. Would you come into my life? Not only save me from my sinfulness, but would you be the Lord of my life and guide me? I submit to you, my Savior and my Lord. Amen. Now, I I would ask that if there's anybody in here this morning that has prayed that prayer, I'm not going to have you stand right now, but this is one thing I do ask you to do. As I mentioned, this is simply the first step in a lifetime pursuit, in a journey. Would you come and let me know? Would you come and let Lee know? Would you let somebody know of the decision that you made this morning so that we can walk alongside of you, especially in these first few steps, get you connected into a community of people that can walk with you? That is the, fir- that is the first response this morning. But there's a second response that I want to briefly mention. Go back for just a second. If you're, if you're still in 1 John... The second response flows out of a recognition of God's love for us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 11, John writes this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Earlier in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech alone but with actions and in truth. Because remember, we love because he first loved us. So, this is a truth that Nicholas understood. I think he would be rolling in his grave if he recognized the ways in which we have turned him into the focus of Christmas. Rather than simply being somebody whose life constantly pointed back to Jesus and said, it's about him, all glory to him. We love others, we care for others, we look to others' needs because the greatest gift we could ever receive has already been given to us. We didn't earn it. We don't have to earn it. We simply have to receive it and then respond. We've been trying to really figure out how to keep Jesus, not Santa, at the center of my family's celebrations and Christmas, especially as Ethan this year. He's five now. He's starting to really get focused more on what's underneath the tree than Jesus, than the manger. And so without belaboring, there's a couple of ways that we as a family have tried to keep Jesus back at the center. One of them is through, we have an Advent devotional that we've been doing since the beginning of December. Um, This has been great because it gives us a tangible way to not only, it gives us something to think about that refocuses us in Christ and a prayer, but then there's an actual tangible response. There is an activity every day that he looks forward to doing 
and it keeps the focus on Christ. We bought about 10 copies of this. So parents, if you guys have been just like, man, we're missing it this year. I've got this copy. We've got about nine more across the street. They're like $7. Quite honestly, I'd rather you have them than, you know, get the money back. But you know, those are there. Another thing for those of you who kind of go, you know, I want to have this conversation about what Christmas is really about. This is a story. It's called The Real Santa. It's about St. Nicholas's life that I shared this morning. This is available in the back. And again, across the street as well, there are copies of this if you want to read this to your kids. After having shared with Ethan the story of the real St. Nicholas, we have been kind of asking him, what are ways that we could tangibly care for people around us? And it has been so fun to see him begin to just want to respond with generosity. And so the question I want to leave you guys with this morning as we go into a a brief time of worship is this. The greatest gift has already been given to us. We didn't earn it. What is a way that you could love others as a tangible response to what God has already done? What is a way that you could worship him through caring for the needs of others? How can you show love today? It's a question that we ask every morning and that every evening at dinner we ask, so how did we share love this week? And it's been, or how did we share love today? And it's been so fun for us just to keep the real purpose of what Christmas is about and the heartbeat of our response, love at the forefront. So let's pray, and then we're going to spend a a few minutes worshiping together. Father, I thank you that when you look at us, you don't see the junk. You don't see our rebelliousness. You see your sons and your daughters created in your image. And I thank you that you love us in spite of our shortcomings. Jesus, thank you for your willingness to take upon yourself the penalty of our sins. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to stop trying to be good enough, to stop fixating on actions as a prerequisite and instead be able to rest firmly in your love for us. And then, Father, I pray as we begin to to live out of a solid foundation of love, that you would give us the eyes to recognize the needs all around us, the eyes to recognize where you're already working so that we might be your hands and feet, that we might be your representatives to a hurting and hopeless world. Would you give us the heart of Nicholas who loved because he was first loved, who recognized that he was blessed to be a blessing to others? Would you use us as an extension of your hands to your children who don't even know they're your kids, Jesus, for your name's sake, not our own? Amen. Hey, we're going we're gonna to take a, an offering right now as we respond. So if you have prayer requests, connection cards, you can toss those in as well. But we're just going to give back to God both with our worship as well as our financial offering.